let that be a window for us into what it meant for God to send his dearly loved son, knowing what we would do to him when he came. Welcome to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith, and we've been hearing a series in which we've looked at the life of Joseph and, more recently, his brothers. Colin, please explain the context of what we just heard. Well, Jacob had a dearly loved son. His name was Joseph. Uh, He ends up in Egypt. People know that story well. And then later in the story, Joseph asks that his brother Benjamin be sent to join him in Egypt. Now, Benjamin also stars in the role of the dearly loved son, and Jacob does not want to let him go. I've lost one dearly loved son already. I'm not going to let another one one get out of my sight. Well, you can understand the old man's reluctance. And it really shines a light on God, our Father, who gives his one and only dearly loved son and gives him freely for us all and gives him knowing what will happen when he comes into the world and be nailed to a cross and that he'll become the great redeemer and then that he'll be highly exalted and that he will be the joy of his people forever. We're going to see Jesus again in the story of Joseph and the story of Benjamin and the story of Jacob today. This message is in Genesis chapter 43. So if you can join us in your Bible as we begin the message, Welcomed and Fed. Here's Pastor Colin. We've seen that the story of Joseph is really a story in two parts. The first part being primarily about Joseph himself, who is really very like Jesus. He comes in search of his brothers. He's hated, he's despised. He's given up, ends up at the lowest point as a slave. God lifts him up so that he ends up as a governor over the whole land. And we saw through the lens of Joseph's experience, uh, foreshadowing of all that is wonderfully true in Jesus Christ, the dearly loved Son of God, who came for us, rejected and despised on the cross, and exalted at the right hand of the Father as a prince and as a savior for us. Part two, which is where we are in the story now, is really primarily about the brothers. Uh, We saw these are not good men. We looked at several stories that showed the moral mess of their lives, Their sins were many, and really the question that's before us in the second part of the story is, how in the world can men like this enter into the blessing of God? And we saw that a great change in these men, that's the story of the second part, the change in the brothers, that a great change began when their conscience was awakened. And what we're seeing here in the second part of the story is a kind of pattern of how God works in people's lives. All this week I've had people saying, you know what you said last Sunday in the message, that's what's happened to me. And uh, well, of course it is, because there's a certain pattern in how God works. And when a person truly becomes a Christian, when you come to saving faith in Jesus Christ, somewhere along the line, there's going to be an awakening of your conscience, an awareness that you are a sinner who needs a savior. and, And this is how God works in the lives of his people. And we saw that he uses various means to bring this about. 
And we may be able to recognize how God has used these kinds of means in our own experience. Uh, In the story of the brothers, one means was that he disturbed their peace through an event that was beyond their control. They'd been uh, perpetuating this pretense, the lie that they told Jacob that Joseph was, was dead, killed by wild animals and all of that. And they'd kept it up for more than 20 years. And no doubt they would have kept it up for another 20 years if God hadn't broken in. But God did break in, and he did it through a famine. And here was this event that disturbed their lives and somehow wakened them up and began a process of of change in their lives. We saw that God awakens um, conscience by arousing memory. They go to Egypt, and the events that took place in Egypt were so much a reflection of what had happened when they had put Joseph in the pit and then sold him as a slave, that inevitably memories that had perhaps been repressed for a long time were awakened and aroused and came back to them with disturbing power. So that they say in verse 21 of chapter 42, in truth we are guilty concerning our brother. Seems like that's something they had never said before, but they were brought to it as God disturbed their peace, aroused their memory. Then we saw that God does a third thing, that there are times when he speaks to us harshly. And uh, Joseph did that in regards to his brothers at this uh, point in the story. Every parent knows about this, that there are times where if you see a child, someone you love going on a destructive path, you don't just stand by silent and let them go and destroy themselves. You you seek to waken them up, to get their attention, to arouse them to the danger they're in. And sometimes that means speaking with force and even speaking harshly. God does this to us through his law, which wakens us up to the reality of the position that I'm in. I've had several people this week say, you know, that's what God did for me. And then they've identified someone who at some point in their life came and spoke to them straight to the face and said, if you don't change, you're going to really be in trouble. And I I was awakened, and it was the beginning of some wonderful change. And I'm so thankful that someone was prepared to speak to me that straight, that strong, at a time when I really needed it. And then we saw that God works in a fourth way to awaken conscience. And this is where we continue and take up the story today. That he awakens conscience by showing kindness. And at the end last time, we saw that that happened particularly by Joseph taking the money that the brothers had paid for the grain they had bought, and because he wanted to give it to them freely, he said to his servant, take the money and just put it back in their sacks. I'm going to give that to them as a gift. And uh, you remember that they uh, found the money in their sacks and they didn't know what to make of it. They, they assumed that they were being set up, that this was a trick that was being played against them. They, they didn't conceive for a moment that they had been shown an act of kindness. And they said, verse 28, which is where we ended last time, what is this that God has done to us? God must be against us. We are guilty. And now we've got this money in the sack. We're being set up here. We're really going to catch it. And, but that was the first time that they had ever uttered the name of God, these 10 brothers. So now they think God's against them, but at least they're awake to the reality that there is a living God of almighty power. Now, that's where we are in the story as we take it up. Today, we're going to see how God's love and and kindness 
awakens even the hardest of hearts. There are three themes I want to pick up today. The first is the reluctance of Jacob, the father. The second, the experience of the brothers, which is all an experience of love and kindness being showered on them. And then thirdly, the identity of Joseph, who again points us very wonderfully to our Lord Jesus Christ. So first then, the reluctance of Jacob. Now remember as we take up the story that Simeon had been detained in Egypt. He was in prison there, and the price of his freedom was that the brothers would have to return, bringing their youngest brother, whose name was Benjamin, with them. Now, Benjamin was of very special importance to Joseph for this reason, that these two, and only these two, Joseph and Benjamin, were the sons of Rachel, who was the great love of Jacob's life. And for that reason, of course, Joseph wanted to see his full brother, Benjamin. But there's something more than that going on here, the significance of Benjamin. Uh, Joseph knew that like him, Benjamin was a loved and favored son. That Jacob loved Benjamin in the same way as Jacob loved Joseph. And remember, the brothers had hated Joseph precisely because Jacob loved him so much. Did they also, therefore, hate Benjamin? Would they also treat Benjamin in the same way as they had treated Joseph for the same reasons of jealousy? Or was there the beginning of a change in these brothers? Well, Joseph really wanted to know. He needed to know, was there a change in these brothers at this point in the story? We'll hear the answer to that when we continue the message, Welcomed and Fed, part of our series, Snapshots of a Godly Life. You're listening to Pastor Colin Smith on Open the Bible, and if you ever miss one of our broadcasts, or if you want to go back and listen again, you can do that on our website. That's openthebible.org.uk. Now, back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. Now, God has one son who is dearly loved and highly favored. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But in the Old Testament, there are many, many figures who in some way foreshadow or point to or illustrate the one and only Son of God who would come into the world when Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. Isaac uh, points to the Son of God the one and only son. Uh, Joseph, we've seen and will see again, points in so many ways to the one and only son. But also Benjamin, in this part of the story, very, very clearly is a kind of light shining onto the dearly loved son who is sent by the father. And And you know how in the church here we love to approach the scriptures. Our commission is that we proclaim him, that is, we proclaim Jesus Christ. I I love to find the line to Jesus Christ, wherever we are in the Bible. And there's not one line here, there's two lines, so I'm going to go for both of them. There's a line through Joseph, and there's a line through Benjamin that I want you very wonderfully uh, to see and to be blessed by today. So follow the story with me. The brothers go back to Canaan. 
and they report all that has happened to Jacob. Simeon has been detained, and the price of his release is that we, the brothers, have to go back, and we have to take Benjamin with us. And Jacob says, there is no way in the world that that is ever going to happen. Why? Because he's my dearly loved son. Jacob says, verse 36, you've bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? Verse 38, my son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead, and he is the only one left. I've only got one, dearly loved son, he says. So, Simeon languishes in prison, and his only hope is that Benjamin, the dearly loved son, will be sent. But Jacob, who is the father, cannot spare his dearly loved son. His son will not go. I will not send him, says Jacob. And so at this point, there is absolutely no hope whatsoever for Simeon, who continues to languish in prison. Now, months pass, and uh, eventually the biting famine uh, begins to take its toll, and uh, the reluctant Jacob at the beginning of chapter 43 appears to change his mind. The famine, verse 1, was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they brought from Egypt, his father sa- their father said to them, go again and buy us a little food. Remember, Jacob's getting on. Maybe he'd forgotten a bit, or maybe he just wasn't very focused at this point, but he seems to have forgotten what the problem is. And Judah says to him, look, the man solemnly warned us, verse 2, saying, you, you will not see my face unless your brother is with you. Dad, Dad, you're not getting it. We can't go to Egypt unless you send Benjamin. The brothers want to go back to Egypt. They're concerned for Simeon. He's waiting in prison for the return. But he cannot return. They cannot return unless Benjamin goes with them, and Jacob won't let Benjamin go. That's the impasse here in the story. Now, you read this, and you reflect on it, and you think about it in the light of the whole Bible story, and you say, aren't you glad that God is a better, kinder father than Jacob? You can't read this without thinking, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, How will he not also along with him, the dearly loved son, Jesus Christ, therefore give us all things? We have a better father than Jacob. Thank God that our father is not the reluctant father. But is there anyone here who doesn't understand Jacob's reluctance? I mean, I I can put myself in his shoes. I, I can imagine why he doesn't want to send Benjamin. So let that be a window for us into what it meant for God to send his dearly loved son, knowing what we would do to him when he came. Well, eventually, the situation for the the, the whole family becomes so desperate that uh, there is a change. Verse 8, Judah says, send the boy with me that we may live 
and not die, both we and you and our little ones. So you see, the famine's now got to the point, uh, many months later, where Judah steps up, takes leadership, says, Dad, if you don't send the dearly loved son, we're all gone. Our little children, there's no hope for our little children if you don't send the dearly loved son. No hope for us, no hope even for you. Jacob, you've got to do this. And now the pressure has become so great that finally Jacob relents, verse 11, if it must be so. So off the brothers go with Benjamin on their second journey to Egypt. Verse 15, they arose, they went down to Egypt, and now they stood before Joseph. So the first snapshot here is of the reluctant father that gives us a window into just how good, kind, and loving our heavenly father is that he has freely and willingly sent his dearly loved son and that his dearly loved son, our savior, so freely, so willingly, so selflessly chose to come. The second snapshot I want us to see today is the experience of the brothers. And uh, when they come to Egypt, what's striking is that their experience is totally different from the first visit that they made. You remember when they came the first time, Joseph spoke to them harshly. Uh, Now when they come with Benjamin with them, their experience is completely different. It's one gift of kindness being showered over them after another. And that's very striking at this point in the story. Let me point out the kindnesses that they receive as they are welcomed and as they are fed. The first is the welcome itself, verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin, notice that, When he saw that Benjamin was with them, he said to the steward of his house, bring the men into the house, slaughter an animal and make it ready. Shades of the return of the prodigal son there, right? For the men are to dine with me at noon. Now remember the brothers here, there are 11 of them now and well, minus Simeon, so 10 of them and, and they're arriving as foreigners the nine plus Benjamin. And uh, why in the world would some travelers from out of state be welcomed into the mansion of the governor himself? Why in the world would he want them in his house? And the answer is verse 16. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, So think about this, because it's very important. When the brothers come on their own, the great ruler speaks to them harshly. But when the brothers come in the company of the dearly loved son, they are welcomed into the governor's mansion. They sit at his table. Why? Because they are with in the company of the dearly loved son. And so the great ruler opens his home to them and seats them at his table. Now, isn't this a wonderful picture and a very clear one of our own position before God? If you come to him on your own, if you come to him and say, well, Lord, here I am, and here's my life, and here's what I've done, and I hope you're going to be pleased with it, what you're going to find is he's going to speak to you harshly. He's going to say, get out of here. I never knew you. You're a stranger, you're a foreigner, you're no place in my house. 
But if you come to him in the company of his dearly loved son, you will be welcomed into his home for the sake of the dearly loved son. When Joseph saw that Benjamin was with them, he brought the whole group in because they were with the dearly loved son. That's the very heart of the gospel and why faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is so central to every hope of acceptance with God and entrance one day into his house. Now, of course, this kindness, being welcomed into the governor's mansion, takes the brothers completely by surprise. The last time they were here, the governor spoke harshly to them. And they're expecting more of the same. And so they say in verse 18, the men were afraid. Even when they're brought into Joseph's house, they're still afraid. They think, oh, we're being set up. It is because of the money, they say, verse 18, which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we were brought in. We've been brought into the house so that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and to seize our donkeys. I love that last bit. They're very worried about the donkeys, you know. What, what, uh, yeah. So when they're welcomed into the house, they say he's bringing us into the house because he's going to attack us. That's what's going to happen. They're so sure that they're not going to be shown kindness. Now, what's interesting to me about this is that that is exactly what happened in the story we looked at last week of the brothers and the way they treated the Shechemites. Remember how they had launched, it was an atrocity, they had launched a sudden attack on the Shechemites when these men were in no position to defend themselves and had wiped them out completely. And check that out in um, Genesis in chapter 34. And isn't it interesting that the way that they expect to be treated is a direct reflection of how they themselves have treated others. They expect Joseph to do to them as they once did to the Shechemites. It's very, very revealing. And often it is the case that a person deeply expects God to treat them in precisely the way that they have treated God. And when you think about it, that's not surprising. What is surprising here in this story is that their expectation of being attacked and of being wronged and all of this is completely upturned because all that they are shown when they're brought into this governor's house in the presence of the dearly loved son is the most remarkable love and the remarkable kindness. You're listening to Open the Bible with Pastor Colin Smith and our message, Welcomed and Fed, part of the series Snapshots of a Godly Life. And if you ever miss one of our broadcasts or if you want to go back and listen again, you can always do that by going to the website. That's openthebible.org.uk. Also on the website, you can find daily devotionals. These are short, reflective pieces, two to three minutes long, a new one every day, written by Pastor Colin Smith and read by Sue McLeish. Just go to the website, openthebible.org.uk, and click on Resources, then Open the Bible Daily. Open the Bible is only able to come to you as a result of your generosity in supporting the work. This month, if you're able to commit to a regular donation of £5 or more, we'd like to send you a free copy of a book. The book is called Holiness, and it's by J.C. Ryle. Colin, I know this is one of your favourite books. What makes this book, Holiness, so unique? 
one of my all-time favorite books. And the reason for this is that there are some books that just help you make sense of your own experience as a Christian. And that's what this book, Holiness, has done for me. On the one hand, the Scripture tells us that being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And on the other hand, we all know as Christian believers that having peace with God, we're also involved in a fight. We're in a battle against the temptations that we face and find in our own flesh. And the Bible says without holiness, we will not see the Lord. So how in the world do you hold these two things together? And what has been so helpful to me in this book is that Ryle shows how you hold these two things together. He actually says straight up that a Christian is a person who is at peace and in conflict at the same time. And yet you can tell a real Christian as much by his conflict, that is his own inner conflict with sin and temptation, as you can by his peace. Now, that begins to open up a whole world of understanding as to what Christian experience is really like. So I go back still to this book again and again. I quote from Ryle many, many times. It's been one of the great sources of biblical wisdom in my life, and it's just a joy to be able to share this book with our audience this month. It's called Holiness, written by J.C. Ryle, and it's our gift to you this month for supporting Open the Bible with a regular donation of £5 or more. For Open the Bible and Pastor Colin Smith, I'm David Pegg, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Open the Bible is a listener-supported production. Do you think you will be welcomed by God if you come to him on your own? Find out next time on Open the Bible.